Welcome to the Arise Podcast. This is Capuchin Father Richard Owens. And this is Father Eric Banneker. And I'm Gina Christian. Where we explore Catholic life in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia and reflect on the Word of God as it speaks to us in our own day. We welcome back Archbishop Perez, Archbishop of Philadelphia, who's here for the second part of our Arise podcast. Archbishop, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Father Richard. Did you ever any time to taste some cheesesteaks and pizza between this podcast and the last? Well, I wish I, I, wish I did, actually. <laughs> but no, I didn't. All right. Do you have one? I do, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Archbishop, we've all been instructed to stay home and maintain social distancing at this time. But I think Catholics feel like uh, there's much more... Um, that can be done. What would you say to those people and for those Catholics who are anxious to get back to celebrating Mass? Well, obviously it is a time that at the end we could, you know, we could either use it well or use it not well, one or the other. Sure. Our complaining about it and our fretting about it is not going to change it. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than what we can control. So it's better to take advantage of it. So I think spending a little quiet time, Sure. there's a quietness about this time because we're not doing what we ordinarily do. So finding time for quiet time to spend time with the Lord in prayer and, and reading and, and even engaging the various opportunities that, that the church has, has done through social media. Sure. That's that's certainly something that we could do. It's within our control to do that. Okay. I also think it's a time to reconnect with family. <laughs> you know, there's lots of family. You know, families live today live very complicated and hectic lives. And uh, I had a friend of mine said to me recently that they have four kids, and they love the fact that they could have movie night together, mm. and that all these sports and activities and stuff don't get in the way. Usually, they are like ships in the night, yeah, because everybody's so busy doing all these extracurricular activities, which are wonderful. But all of a sudden, this thing has forced families to sit around tables. Mm. And the other thing I would say is because of the quietness and that our normal routines aren't there, there's always the temptation to live in your head. Sure. And and to avoid that. Yeah. To avoid living in your head. You know, it's good to crawl in there from time to time, but <laughs> but to live in your head all the time is not always a healthy thing. So it's it's also a time to connect with people on the phone. We have these little things <laughs> that we could talk to people <laughs> and reconnect and not live in our head. Sure. Yeah. Archbishop, at your installation, Father Richard and I were both part of the ceremonies crews. We were running around a lot, but we, we were both in the sacristy, I think, during the homily. And one mm-hmm. of the things you said during that homily was it's time to come back to church, right. to the people. And of course, you know, nationwide and within our own diocese, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware of, you know, the number of people going to Sunday Mass is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, at some point, Sunday Mass will return, of course, in the archdiocese. Right. And so what would you say parishes can be doing to once we have Sunday Mass again, what can we be doing to keep people there, to make them want to come back and uh, to make them want to stay? Well, set a good table, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, the table has to be set well with good preaching and good music. And, and the be- there's the beauty in, of the church and, and, and beauty attracts. And I think that's important to do. We do it in every other place in our lives, right? So when we invite people to our homes, we, we set the best table before them, right? Because we want them to, to feel at home, but also we want them to feel special. But we take out our special china and tablecloths. And so I would say to our parish communities, set a good table. 
and figure out what that means for them. But set a good table mm. because if you set a good table, people will come back. Yeah. What I'm sure there's a lot of young people listening uh, to this podcast. What would you say to a young person that's sort of maybe thinking about their future at this time, maybe discerning a, a vocation to the priesthood or, or religious life? Mm-hmm. Persevere in it. Talk to God and talk to people. Were there any priests or religious in your own life growing up that really influenced you or inspired you to consider becoming a priest? One of them was at the installation, actually. He sat in the front pew, very first first pew. He's He didn't can celebrate because he's uh, he's like 89 <laughs> and, and has a little difficulty walking and stuff. But I introduced him, actually, at the very end of, of the installation, Father Michael Fekety. In many ways, he um, he had a lasting impact, especially as a child that never actually left. I was on a... On a national Facebook type of uh, live, Facebook Live they call it, mm-hmm. with Culture Project uh, just last night. And and the question of who influenced you growing up? And I would say, well, John Paul Great. Mm, sure. St. John Paul II, you know, uh, at all different moments and in different ways. The very first time I laid eyes on him, I was a teenager in Madison Square Garden in New York in 1979. And there was a youth rally. And he captivated not only 20,000 young people, but also me. Sure. What do you enjoy most about being a priest and a bishop? First and foremost, the celebration of the Eucharist and everything that that implies. Because that's not, it's not just my little celebration. It's a celebration of the church and therefore of the people. Mm-hmm. So it's connected then to, to being with people, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, and then be, having been over the years um, accompanying people not only in their happy moments, but sometimes in, in their challenging challenging moments as well. Sure. Archbishop, uh, this is, we found ourselves in Easter, the season of hope and resurrection and new life. Have you experienced any instances or examples of new life and hope and new beginnings in the diocese in the midst of this? Actually, yeah. yeah. I think even though um, I stand at the cathedral every Sunday morning at 11 before an empty cathedral, basically there are the two priests who live at the cathedral rectory. They sit on one side, socially distant from each other. And then the lectors sit on the other side, socially distant from each other. And then a couple of servers and a canner. But when I look out, you know, it's like three people, maybe four. That's all that's out there, right? But there's over 50,000 people actually tuning in to that mass. So in a sense, in one way... It is the small one of the smallest groups I've ever preached to. Sure. And at the same time, it is the largest group I've ever preached to. And I got a call from uh, actually a friend of mine who lost her husband about uh, a year and a half ago. And she called me a couple of weeks, about two weeks ago. And she says, listen, I just wanted to tell you this. She said, uh, I know you stand there basically in front of an em- empty cathedral and you don't know who's on the other side listening. But I just want to let you know that lots of people are listening. And the words that you say in your homily are touching, including my own heart. You know, and that was great. You know, and there are people tuning in that, you know, there are people in my family hmm. and, and among friends that really haven't always been churchgoers. And I know for a fact that by 1030, quarter 11 on Sunday mornings, they're texting each other. You know, let's get on to Nelson's Mass. And uh, so there are people going to mass now that they were that were not before. My hope and my prayer is that this will bring them back home. Yeah. If God has allowed this, then but that that's up to God in their hearts. Yeah, I, I think we've seen that you know, the, 
the internet iPhones live streaming has been a great opportunity for evangelization. Absolutely. You know, and of course, for some people, of course, it can be a, an opportunity, unfortunately, to sort of go more into isolation and mm -hmm. the things that go along with that. So like, what advice do you have, you know, either for, for priests about how to evangelize in this time and, and, you know, lay people, how do they, you know, how do they use technology well and not for those isolating things? Certainly this particular situation of this pandemic has shown the church and priests and parishes and stuff that there is a, maybe an underutilized resource in the digital sphere that needs to be used more effectively mm -hmm. as you're doing through this podcast. And there's an audience there that, that we have to get to. And we are using it now. Like we didn't do this stuff <laughs> of streaming masses uh, with the, um, in the way that uh, that's happening now. So I think there's a lot of great learning, lessons learned out of this particular challenging moment that we could take on and beyond mm -hmm. uh, after this we could go back to public celebration of Mass and ecclesial life. Archbishop, um, what message would you give to those who are grieving or scared at this time? Is there a short message or scripture that you would reference? Well, the scriptures constantly call us to not be afraid, right? Yeah, it's sure. one of the phrases that are that is used over and over again in the Old Testament, and then Jesus himself uses it several times, right? And, and there's a reason why he says it. Sure. He doesn't say it because he didn't have anything else to say. He said it. And, and called us to not be afraid because we are afraid. Fear is a very powerful human feeling. Uh, some fear is good, right? Uh, because it protects us and, and keeps us from harm. But the fear that takes away our, the, the, the deep peace of our soul might not be so good. Sure. And, and so I, I would say, listen to the words of the scripture. Do not, do not be afraid. You know, be prudent. Do your due diligence. And then trust and hope. Archbishop, before we uh, go off to air here, just out of curiosity, um, do you have a favorite saint? Well, St. John Paul II is uh, one. Got it. St. Rita Kasia is another. Okay. St. Francis is another. Ah, great. Good, good to hear that. And St. Clair. Uh, St. John Bosco, okay. uh, uh, the founder of the Salesians of Don Bosco, is, a, is an powerful saint. Um, St. Teresa of Avila, the great Spanish mystic. Okay, cool. I should thank you for um, spending time with us this, this afternoon. Uh, we hope that maybe after this, we can go out and grab a maybe a nice pizza. You, yes. Your, your treat, maybe? Pepperoni and sausage. <laughs> your treat? No, the, the capuchins. The capuchins. Pay for it. They all have well, a lot of money. Well, we've taken something called a vow of poverty. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy a pizza. <laughs> all right, Richard, thank you um, for your time, and we hope to um, visit you again. Um, thank perhaps, you. Perhaps uh, the same place, same time uh, in a few weeks. And thank you so much. You guys are young, vibrant priests, a great gift to the church. Thanks thank you. Bishop. Thank you. And now we're going to take a look at a very famous and beloved gospel passage, uh, the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, a famous resurrection account. So let's listen, first of all, to the scripture from the gospel according to Luke. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped looking downcast. One of them named Cleopas said to him in reply, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? 
They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us, while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven, and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised, and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. You know, when I... Uh, had the privilege of traveling to the Holy Land with uh, some seminary classmates my last year, my deacon year in the seminary. Just the way they organized the tour uh, was was very nice. We were in Galilee for the uh, first days, and Galilee's more of sort of a peaceful, uh, quiet, beautiful place to reflect on our Lord's public ministry, on his birth, uh, on his blessed mother. And then you take the second part of the trek down to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, of course, the modern bustling city, but of course, it just, you can feel the weight of history in Jerusalem and the three great religions and their interaction there and the different Christian denominations that are all centered at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And just in, in that southern part of modern Israel, it's a whole different feel to the place. And so on our trip, uh, on the last day, the last thing we really went to was a place called Ein Karim, which is the modern city where Emmaus was, about seven miles from Jerusalem. It was basically, we packed up our things in Jerusalem, and then we went to Ein Karim, and then we went to the you know getaway dinner, and then off we went on the plane back to the United States. And uh, by that time in the trip, I have to be honest, I was completely exhausted. I really don't remember a thing about the Emmaus visit, the Ein Karim trip seven miles from Jerusalem. I do know, I do remember getting off the bus and walking around and saying, I think we're going to get back on the bus because um, you're just so wiped out and exhausted after, you know, several days of, you know, a week of, of uh, these beautiful, powerful experiences you get to the point where you go, I just can't do this uh, much more. And, you know, ironically, I think our two disciples on the road from Jerusalem to 
to Emmaus may have been feeling something similar. They may have been drained and exhausted and anxious and fearful and sad about what was going on in Jerusalem, what they had witnessed, what they had seen, what had taken place on that Friday. All of a sudden, the, the man they had come to trust and love and who they who walked with them and who they decided to follow was was no longer there. He was suddenly gone. We could sort of hear in their voice, in their words, this feeling of dejection, of emptiness, the thought they just can't do it anymore. Uh, We don't even know why they were going to a maze, maybe just to get out of town, get out of Jerusalem. Maybe they were scared for their own lives. And yet in the midst of that, It is Jesus himself who begins to walk with them. He walks with them. He walks right into their grief and their anxiousness and their sense that they can't do this anymore. That is where he decides to reveal himself, to show himself risen from the dead, to speak the word of God to them, a word of comfort and a word challenging them to understand who he is and what he has done, not just for them, but for all of humanity and how it follows right along with what the Old Testament said would take place. And so they begin to understand and they make this beautiful act. Of, it turns out to be an act of faith. Stay with us. They know that this man uh, is attractive in some way. They like what he's saying. They say, stay with us. You know, in the uh, the linguistic history of the word parish is very interesting. Back there, the Greek word behind that word really refers to uh, like a way station, an oasis in a desert, a place where pilgrims could stop and rest and be refreshed. And we think, isn't that what a parish is? A parish church, right, is a place where all of us, through our grief and anxiety and through the ups and downs of life, and yes, through our sense of exhaustion and the days and weeks and months where we think we can't do this anymore, it is there that the Lord wants to meet us. He wants to walk along with us. He wants to speak his word to us anew and to be made truly present for us in the Eucharist. And so it's when we go to our parish church that we are saying what the disciples said, stay with us, stay with us. And uh, so it doesn't matter in a time of a pandemic that we're all experiencing or in individual moments of our lives of sickness or death or the loss of a job, these little uh, disasters, these little problems that we deal with, that we all deal with, is the Lord inviting us to encounter his word and to experience him truly present in the Eucharist. That's what happens at every Mass, every time we gather around the Lord's altar. It's there that just as Jesus broke the bread that day at Emmaus, he breaks the bread for us. And so we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you gave us the Eucharist as the memorial of your suffering and death. May our worship of this sacrament of your body and blood help us to experience the salvation you won for us. And the peace of the kingdom where you live with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our Lady of Perpetual Help, pray for us. You've been listening to the Arise podcast with Capuchin Father Richard Owens and Father Eric Banneker. I'm Gina Christian, and for more resources and information on the Arise project, visit archvilla.org forward slash arise. Thanks for listening.
This podcast has been a production of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Our engineers are Jocelyn Martinez and Gina Christian. Music by Johnny Markin, taken from the Instrumental Acoustic Hymns Project, owned by Essential Christian under the imprint Elevation, with an arrangement copyrighted by Music Services. For more information on the Arise Project, visit archphila.org forward slash arise.